Welcome, everyone, to Meaningful Moments podcast, connecting infant mental health to early intervention. This podcast is a collaborative effort from the Virginia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, and that is through a contract with the Partnership for People with Disabilities at Virginia Commonwealth University. My name is Lisa Terry, and we are going to be talking about elevating infant mental health through policy and advocacy. So just to introduce myself, I am an early intervention development consultant at VCU, which is Virginia Commonwealth University, through the Partnership for People with Disabilities. I am also endorsed as an infant mental health mentor in research and faculty, and I co-facilitate the Division of Early Childhood's Community of Practice on infant Fit Mental Health. So, so excited to be here with you all today. I'm going to have my co-host introduce herself, and then we'll have our very special guest introduce himself. So, Tracy, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys today. My name is Tracy Walters. I'm the State Coordinator for Infant and Early Childhood Mental Health, and I am endorsed as an infant family specialist as well. And I also am a co-facilitator of many parenting classes around this state, and I'm just so happy to work with Lisa on this podcast, and we're so happy and excited about our guest for the day. That'd be Andy. Andy, you want to get yourself introduced? Well, thank you both for inviting me. This is a real pleasure. I'm a fan of the podcast and longtime listener, and I, I know a lot of people across the country are the same. Um, so Andy Gum, I am the past director for early intervention in the state of New Mexico. I was the early intervention Part C director for a little over um, 20 years. And after leaving that position, I've moved into consulting. And so I consult with a number of states around a variety of policy and practice issues. Um, and one of the things we're going to be talking today is a project I did through the Early Childhood TA Center at the University of North Carolina. And so excited to be able to share some of those things and talk to two of my favorite people around infant mental health and how we can promote that uh, across the country in, in early intervention. So thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Andy. Yes, we love geeking out with Andy on all things infant mental health and how we are just going to change the world, right? Um, so I think, you know, let's talk first, Andy, about so the way that we really got introduced to you is through a lot of the national work that you were doing through um, ECTA. So if you want to just kind of talk about a little bit more and explain in detail, what have you done nationally? What was that work group all about? And I think our listeners will be interested to hear that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I love talking about it too. So so the project we did through the Early Childhood TA Center was really, um, even though it was housed and, and uh, funded through the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, it really was a partnership. We couldn't have done it without national partners. And I think that you're going to hear that theme in some of the things I'm going to um, talk about is partnerships at the local level, partnerships at the state level. And so we really felt like we needed to do that at the national level. Think about who are the partners in infant and early childhood mental health that we needed to be working with. So natural partners were um, zero to three, a number of different programs at Georgetown University, the Alliance for the Advancement of Infant Mental Health. Um, another great partner was the 
National Center for Children in Poverty. So we brought all those folks, oh, and the pyramid um, model folks too. So we all came to the table to say, what is it we know about infant and early childhood mental health that really has relevance for early intervention? And so it was something like a 18 month project, really collaborative, rolling up the sleeves. And we didn't agree all the time, but we came to consensus on on what are those things that we felt were really important for early intervention to be thinking about and, and really thinking of, we talked about it being a synergy between these two sectors that both are working with very young children and their families. And so what can we learn? And we, we framed it in terms of two things, in terms of policies and practices. And we felt like, particularly on the policy side, what are those things that states particularly, and that's sort of our target audience, but if folks want to go to the Early Childhood TA website and see the materials, I think there's uh, a way to translate the, the things that we were talking about at the state level to if you're working at a regional or district level or even your local community level. I mean, there are going to be some things at a policy level that you can't change at the local level. That it's only at the state level that those things can happen. So when we talk about policy, we're talking about um, regulations or written policy or guidance even. So we're using that term very broadly. And sometimes it's even statute. Sometimes it actually means passing a, a law to actually change something. So um, we're using that that term broadly when we talk about policy. And then practices we're talking, which I think is a lot of the focus of this podcast has been, what does it actually look like when you're working with families to support that um, parent-child relationship? And I think the field is moving in that direction. You get people talking a lot more about coaching and and realizing it's, it's working with that um, parent-child relationship. And so we really looked at the research and said, what are those things that we can do as a field to really enhance um, what we're, our work with families? And then how can we support both in professional development and things like reflective supervision and consultation? I'm a big proponent of that. I think we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're not supporting practitioners in the field with our ongoing, regularly scheduled, whether it's group or individual, but reflective supervision and, and consultation. So it was a really robust process. The the paper, we called it a briefing paper. It's not very brief. It's something like 70 pages long. But once we got into it, there was so much that we wanted to cover. And what we heard from the field, I think folks like yourselves who are passionate about infant mental health, infant and early childhood mental health, Maybe some folks were feeling maybe a little alone, like, where are my peeps? And they saw this paper and they're like, wow, and now it's up on the national website. It's like, oh, there are, there's a community out there that feels the same way, that feels like this is something we should be promoting in, in early intervention. And so once the paper was done, we were able to work with eight states and really support them in thinking about what are the either the low-hanging fruit or the things that would be pretty easy to do to put in place? And what would those things that, oh, we really want to change, say, our eligibility um, to include some of the 
diagnostic classification zero to five, some of those more social, emotional, mental health conditions that maybe aren't part of their established conditions list. That might be a bigger lift. That might be, depending on how the state has that, it could be a statute change, could be a regulation change that has to go out to public comment. You might be needing to bring some folks together to say, what are those conditions that as a state we would like to have on our list? So, so we helped people think about um, how they could actually do that. So it's been a really exciting project. And I know um, you guys are doing some great things in, in Virginia and Tracy with your lead um, in policy. Not everyone has someone like you to lead such an effort. Um, so um, hats off to Virginia for seeing that as, as, a, as a priority. But states that don't have either someone in your kind of position or even an association, and I think I think there's over 32, 33 um, states now that have an association of, of infant mental health. So there's definitely states where those partnerships are definitely there to think about what are those policies um, that they can work on. Yeah, Andy, I mean, it's so exciting hearing you talk about all of these pieces that fit so beautifully together. Like when you talk about the national level and the state level, and then we look at the regional level. Because it takes that lift, right, of all of those folks to really make meaningful difference for children and families and practitioners. Um, and I know that, you know, we're getting ready for General Assembly to start happening in Virginia, which is a really big opportunity for us. I mean, as state employee, I can, I'm hands off with that. But we are like really supporting people who can participate. And our Virginia Association of Infant Mental Health uh, and our executive director, she is really on it. We're really, we've got some good packaging going out to support that effort. But also this whole idea, Andy, that you're talking about, about innovate, you know, integrating the advocacy in our normal day-to-day -day life and work right? It doesn't just have to be at that general assembly, that one or two days that we get in there, but really this idea of integrating, you know, infant and early childhood mental health in early intervention yeah. and what that looks like. And I know that, you know, Lisa and her team, they're doing an amazing work over at VCU and she and I get to collaborate a lot on projects, including this one. And it's a great way to like, just get tied in with the community. And it's all about, when I think about the advocacy and policy, I consider it storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I really think when we're all familiar with young children and what is powerful for them, it's the same for adults. It's creating those stories behind why this is so important. And I'm, I'm just wondering, Andy, if you think about it in those terms as well. I absolutely do. And, and I would hope that people don't go away from this podcast thinking that advocacy is only at the state level or even the, the national level. We love people telling their stories, coming to, to use case studies to say this has made a difference. But advocacy can be at the local level too. It can be taking something to your staff meeting and say, I've wondered about why we do this the way we do it, or I've I've heard about this, I've read about this, could we consider making a change at our agency level or our district level? Um, states are all set up very differently in how they administer early intervention, as I, I'm sure you know. And um, so, yeah, I think bringing those advocacy um, 
things to staff meetings and say, could we do things differently? I, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and say, too, a lot of advocacy to me is awareness. It's creating that awareness because we have talked and talked and talked about this stigma on infant mental health and how a lot of even early interventionists, you know, they go to school and they don't always learn about that emotional well-being of families and the impact that it can have on them and even the impact it's going to end up ultimately having on that individualized family service plan and implementing those services and those parent-child interactions, right? And so a lot of it sometimes to me, is just even modeling that awareness. And yeah. like you mentioned case studies, Andy. So if we're going to talk about those case studies, what is it that we're looking at? What is it from my perspective that I'm seeing? What are you seeing from your perspective? And having those conversations so that way people start to understand, oh, wow, now I see how stress impacts this family. Yeah. Now I see how those parent-child interactions might be reduced because they're just worried about getting their basic needs done, or they have some other, that caregiver has some other greater mental health issues that they're dealing with themselves. And so we really want to also work on that awareness piece and modeling that too. Yeah, so I agree with that totally. And I think if you're that champion at your agency, you're making change within your agency. It may feel small when we're talking about you know, advocating at the regional, state or national level, but those changes at your local level, maybe hearing your story or your case that you're bringing to the staff meeting can be the difference that someone else on your team then goes, wow, I had never thought of things that way. That's going to really change my practice. And But I think it can be other changes at the local level. One story I, I tell a lot is when we were promoting infant mental health way back in the mid-2000s, we we were encouraging folks to hire mental health people as part of their teams. And I had this one manager in a, in a fairly rural area of New Mexico, and she was very reluctant. I think she was a speech therapist by uh, discipline, and she just didn't see the value of having a mental health person as part of the team. And sometime later, it was like three or four years later, she came to me at a, a state conference and she said, Andy, I hired a family therapist and it has changed our practice. Not only was that person then actually able to work with some of the families, not every family needs a therapist, but there was a, a few families, but she said it was having that person as part of the team that they were able to meet with people after visits. You know, when you come back from a visit and you're like, oh my gosh, the family disclosed this. I didn't know, this is how I handled it, but I didn't know if I handled it well. And now I'm nervous about going back the next week, how I should uh, approach that. So having that mental health person as part of the team allowed for that natural reflection and um, consultation. And she said, it just has had back then changed the way that their whole agency. So you know, she took a policy change, if you if you like to think of it as that, as just hiring someone as part of the team. Yeah. And I think, Andy, that kind of goes back to like what Lisa's saying is this awareness piece, right? And this ECTA work that you did has been so inspirational nationally. And, and I will just say from Virginia, you know, we had a state leadership group. Lisa was involved with that to look at that information, really take a deep dive into that article and what we could do in terms of our state with that. 
It also was inspiration for a reflective leadership group that I've created with early intervention to talk to local system managers. And we are doing case presentations and just trying to build more of this work into their daily practice. But the big nugget for us is we're starting two pilots in Virginia and two of our regions on reflective supervision in early intervention. And we are so excited about getting that rolled out in January. We're really excited to see like what that's going to look like. But, you know, go into this piece of what you're saying about the the individual who was kind of against hiring, you know, a consultation person or an employee based on this. You know, even when you're all for it, it's really determining how these folks will fit into what is already there, what is existing and getting them built into the framework. And so, I mean, there's just so much that we could cover with you in a day, like all that you've inspired and your national partners have inspired for us. I know for Lisa and I at the state level, but it's just what you've already introduced is a lot. And I'm just wondering how do states, our communities know where to start? Like we've got some ideas, we're projecting these projects, you know, Lisa's got a ton of stuff going on. I've got things going on. We're trying to collaborate together, but where would you say when we're looking at this advocacy and policy, where should we be starting? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause as you know, part C lead agencies, the directors particularly, but even their, their staff, their, their bandwidth is full, right? With all of these federal requirements and accountability and things. And and so, yeah, it can be a little overwhelming where to start. One thing we did that we got good feedback on is we created a self-assessment, a, a, a way for people to look at all of the recommendations that we had in the briefing paper, which <laughs> to your point can be a little overwhelming. Where do we start? And so while well, we encourage states, but I think equally it could be districts or regions or even a local provider network could actually go through that and say, where are we? Because maybe we don't even know what's going on, especially at the state level. Like, is there some reflective supervision going on in local areas that we actually didn't know about that we can learn from and build on? And so it's it's an assessment that allows people, and it's in words, so it can be adapted. It's, it's, you know, there's not one exact right way to do things, but they can go through that and then then through that process, working out what's going on in the state or what's going on in the region or what's going on in the local community, then start to prioritize and think about what are the things that would be pretty easy to do. We want to start adding a mental health person to our assessment teams or our evaluation teams where possible uh, or when when indicated. It's a cat to refer or a child welfare. So we want to have someone on our team or or we want to add a screening tool as part of our, every state again is different in terms of what they mandate in terms of evaluation and assessment tools. Um, some leave that totally to the local folks to decide, others um, it's sort of mandated from the state level. But thinking about, oh, could we add some way to look at and assess social emotional development um, as part of that? Professional development could be another area of, and I know you guys are doing some great work, um, you, particularly Lisa, around social-emotional development. Is that something? Starting off, we did in New Mexico, adding um, 
some folks to come to our national national our state um, conference and and have po folks present. So I think doing the assessment can really help you think about what are the things to prioritize and what might be the three to five year goals as opposed to hey we could get this done in six months. Lisa, you had something to add? Yeah, Andy, I actually, I really love the tool and I love how detailed and thorough it is. So kudos to everyone that really worked on that because it really does kind of just lay it out from everything that you could possibly want to think about and consider what are our practices? How are we doing this now? And it really helps you, I think, to kind of identify what are your strengths and what are your areas where you can really grow? What are your opportunities for growth, right? And looking at that. And I think even like sometimes it can be very overwhelming because you can look at it and say, oh, like there's so much, like where do we start? Where do we even begin? And I know like for us, it really helped us kind of look at, okay, well, what is our eligibility? What is our accessibility to services? What are um, the tools that we're using for assessment and services? And then what are the, um, the, what kind of service implementation are we doing? What is it that we're utilizing and how are we supporting those families? And so I think even to like, just to start small and look at your yeah. priorities for each area is really important when we're thinking about this tool because it really does give us so much information. Yeah, I, I totally, and I would and thank you for that endorsement. I, I think it's helpful too, because otherwise, where do you get started? And then who are your partners to work with? I mean, I wouldn't also want people to walk away from this thinking, this is all on early intervention, just as we modeled it at the national level. And I think you guys do a great job in Virginia. Who are the partners that you need to be working with? If it's reflective supervision and consultation, if it means training a cadre of people, well, that's needed across the early childhood sector. So can a cadre of people be trained and supported that could work not just in early intervention, but work in other sectors too? Professional development, can can that be offered for the different sectors? Hey, we'll develop this training module if you develop this. And, and I think working across instead of our silos, I know our funding streams tend to be siloed, but I think we have the opportunity at the state regional and local level to think about how can we braid some of those funding to, to get good results for children and families. Yeah. And Andy, I'm glad that you bring that, you know, that siloed effect up because I know in Virginia, that is something we discuss a lot in, in terms of how do we break that down a little bit. And I really am always inspired when I'm sitting with people like you and Lisa or other partners that I get to work with across the state who we kind of dissolve those by putting the children and families first. Mm -hmm. And we say, but what is what is for the good of the greater group? You know, what is for the good of all? And so that is one step we can take, right? And just as we talk about our personal advocacy, just being in those spaces and saying, I'm sure we can find a workaround. Uh -huh. You know, I'm sure that we can barter some services. And I think that is really so telling in this work, the buy-in. And then really having that opportunity to say, let's get real about it. <laughs> we can find a workaround and work together on these because the most important thing are the children and the families. And I think sometimes we can get really caught up in the processes, yeah. but it's especially important for us to say, but what is the why in this work? Yeah. And so I think leaders like you really keep that in the forefront for us. And it's, it's, 
it's a uh, very inspirational. Well, thank you. And uh, the other avenue that I think it was very forward thinking when they created the IDEA law to have the interagency coordinating council. And right there, you have folks coming together from the different mm -hmm. sectors. And I'm not sure how many folks have mental health um, folks on their ICC, but if you're sitting at the local level and you're passionate about something and you don't see anything going on in your state, I know this podcast is is Virginia focused, but I know you have a lot of folks who tune in from across the country. And I think the ICC is a great venue to take folk, uh, take issues to, to say, hey, I'm passionate about infant mental health and this is why, and this is how I think, and, and have, get it on the agenda, your ICC, you can, I mean, even if it's not a full agenda item, there's usually a public input session. Maybe that's the first um, step. And then maybe the next meeting, it might actually have an hour for people to hear a presentation. And from that, you know, who knows where it will go after that. So I, I think people undervalue or don't see that their voice on the interagency coordinating council, maybe they're not a member, but they can still bring issues to the interagency coordinating council to, to take that forward. So. Yeah. So people have power to move things forward. I, I don't think they always see that, but um, we used to love having local folks come and bring an issue um, to us to listen to and, and then think about where we might take that. So would really encourage people to, to see that they have agency to, to, to make change. That's a great point, Andy. And, you know, I wanted to share an example of one thing that I was able to kind of push and move forward when I was a supervisor in a city locality. Um, one of the things, obviously, you all know that infant mental health has always been very near and dear to my heart. And so I was supervising educators. And one thing that I really wanted was for everyone to go through the endorsement process. Mm. As we all know, sometimes funding is an issue, right? And so I had to submit and develop this whole proposal that I had to move forward and um, submit to our city leadership. And I, the whole time I'm sitting here thinking, they're never going to approve this. There's no way that they're going to give me the funding for all of my educators to go through and get this endorsement. And goodness, <laughs> did they. They funded it. They fully supported it. And it was just so amazing to actually see that once you actually really plan and you're intentional about your purposes and what you want and you're advocating for it to city leadership and you're letting them know why this is important and why we should move forward with it. Sometimes it surprises you and you are mm -hmm. able to get things done. And it was it was just so great that they were able to um, see the value of infant mental health and see the value of having endorsed professionals in infant yeah. mental health and supporting that fully with that city funding. It was just it was just such a great um, thing, I think, to see. So I wanted to share that as just an example of what leaders can also do. You know, sometimes I know that you can go in thinking that this is never going to happen. They're never going to support it, but you never know until you do it. Yeah, and I love that story because I think it probably opened doors for other people. And, and, and another example would be if you made a change at your agency, you might think, well, that's not changing things for a whole state, but then maybe you do a presentation at your state conference and other people learn and go, wow, I didn't even know that was possible. Look what this one agency is, is now doing. Maybe we could do the same. So you never know the change that you're making, how it can you know, be like a, a stone or a, 
it's winter, so a snowball that just grows. Just and a little snowball. <laughs> a little. I like the visual. I like it. <laughs> so that change that you make at the local level can really open doors for other people or uh, lead to more change across the state. And Andy, I think you're so right about that because at the state level, there are days I can be like, this is totally overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a whole state, people. This is not like a region. That's why right. I'm glad I have somebody like Tracy <laughs> that does some of that state stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You can't do it without your partners. Like I lean heavily on Lisa and and I'm just going to say fr- friends like Lisa, colleagues like Lisa to really get the work done, right? But you're exactly right in that I try to keep in my head when I come into my desk in the morning, it's like you just take the the next step that feels right. Uh-huh. Just the next thing that feels right, the next best step, right? Because you can't like jump 10 steps. All you can do is say, okay, it's taken me two years to do this, but that's done. And now it's going to take me a couple of years to do this. But I think you have to be in it when we're talking about policy and advocacy and infant and early childhood mental health and integrating all those things. You have to be in it for the long game. It's about the long game, right? Yeah. And that's where... I think the advocacy and policy all comes together for me and my mind is that it's it's all about the buy-in, sharing the story and getting the buy-in. And I know that a next, you know, one of our next steps with our Virginia Infant Mental Health Association is like public-private partnerships. Mm. So now really going into the business district and saying, this is why infant and early childhood mental health and policies for young children is so important for your business. So what's the return on investment? Because sometimes we have to get in the community and talk about that. And that's a whole different, you know, brain from how some of us have been trained, but it's it's critical. Yeah, I love that um, concept of um, public-private partnerships. And, and I think as a field, we don't look to those uh, philanthropic organizations enough to think they're often looking for things to fund, I mean, I'm sure you, um, Tracy, look at a lot of funding issues in your position. And and sometimes those uh, philanthropic organizations are looking to fund. They're often not going to fund a program for the next 10, 20 years, but they are interested in funding short-term pilots or putting something together, a training package um, that otherwise maybe the state agency um, doesn't have the funding to do that. I mean, sometimes... We get these injections of federal funding and can fund something new. And then that dries up and it's like, oh, we don't have any money to be creative with to create these new pilots or these new programs. But philanthropy, philanthropic organizations often love those, you know, put a 50,000 here, 75,000 there that, that for us, those can be, you know, game changers in terms of us um, trying something new. So I love that you're looking at those kind of um, opportunities. And it's so important to invest in your community. Yeah. And we want those business partners to do that and see the reason for it. Because infant mental health is really one of those things to me that can move so far across time. And when you're thinking about really changing the future and the outcomes of these families and these children that we're serving, infant mental health is definitely the way to go because you are looking at that whole emotional well-being of the family itself as a family unit. You're not isolating and looking at just one factor. We're looking at it all and we're seeing the bigger picture. 
I think you're so right about that, Lisa. And the thing is, is we're looking at communities in the future. We're not just looking at the community that we live in right now with our children, but these interventions, you know, I go at DBHDS, we're we're all about behavioral health and developmental services. And we have a lot of great services on board. But one of the things I talk about is we must get on the prevention and promotion side of things before we hit the crisis. We want to head that off. And this is the tool to do it. This is the mechanism to do that. And so we will keep beating that drum. I know the three of us will do that. Am I right, Andy? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I wanted to share that, you know, some of the pushback I do get is that people look at the IDEA because, you know, people are stretched, right? We know people, mm-hmm. they're stretched in their work with families, they're stretched in meeting timelines and accountability. And it's like, don't add one more thing. Uh, you know, it could be the thing that pushes me over the edge. And some people look to the IDEA, the, the Part C of individuals with disabilities education act and say i don't see that i have to do this thing called infant mental health or infant and early child so why are you saying i have to do one more thing i think one thing is we have to convince them it's the right thing to do you're actually serving your children and families better and i think you guys demonstrate that so well in the work that you're doing in virginia but i think also there is in the IDEA, I think already there are things that we can look to. I would love the next time the reauthorization comes through. We don't know when that's going to be. It was a number of years ago. It was last reauthorized. We don't know when it will be reauthorized. I'd love to see it strengthened, uh, the implemental health approach within IDEA. But I think we can already look to the law to say that there are things in there. There are only five diagnoses that that they recognize or, or suggest that they're, they're not by any means a definitive list, but severe attachment disorder is one of them. So way back in the 80s, when they were looking at what kind of children do we think can benefit from early intervention? One of the few diagnoses they put there was a mental health diagnosis, which shows me that they're they're seeing those kids with those kinds of challenges, relational issues between the parents. The other one is people look at the array of um, services, the 17 services under IDEA, And they're like, well, I don't see mental health or infant mental health there. But there is a service. It's the least understood um, service in IDEA. And it's family training, counseling, and home visits. Well, family training, a lot of states have a a parent training and information center. And then home visits is more of a modality. It's a way of delivering. It's not really a service. So I hold on to the family counseling piece of that and say, look, right there in IDEA, it's saying that family counseling is part of, and some states have come to use that service to actually have a family counseling service fully as part of the IFSP. And so, again, you have to kind of look within IDEA to say, where is it supporting what we want policy-wise to push forward? And I would love to see IDEA be strengthened next time. So people who are the skeptics might, might, you know, they wouldn't be able to say, well, it's not fully there in IDEA. Yes, it, it now is five years from now, hopefully. And so that's my commitment to work on those kind of national issues. 
I love all the commitment that you have, Andy, too. I'm just going to also put in a plug for your LinkedIn. If you follow Andy Gom's LinkedIn, he is always promoting policies and what's just been released. And so that's kind of how I try to stay abreast of what's new and what's out there is just by following him. So that's definitely (laughs) one. But as we are getting ready to close, Andy, too, I want you to just kind of like consider like thinking about, so we really talked about policy and advocacies and leadership and administration looking at this planning tool. So let's think about how can practitioners use this planning tool? And then if you have any other last thoughts on policy and advocacy to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm sure we could speak for a couple more hours. (laughs) I just would encourage people to take a look at the paper and, and think about the things that really resonate with them, things that they would love to see happening at their local agency or regional level, and then say, how could I be part of that change? How can I, you know, bring that to a staff meeting, let's, or have someone come in and do a presentation on that. Some change can't happen at the local level. So if it, if it's not something that your agency can make change in, then maybe think about bringing it to the ICC. I would say don't, look for your partners, even if it's at your agency, is there someone else in your agency that thinks the same way you do and is excited about these things? Because it it can be lonely if you're the only person. And I think there's power in people coming together to make change. So maybe they're not in your agency, maybe they're in another county and maybe the two of you bring something to the ICC together. So you have a partner um, to do. So I, I think working out who who your partners and that might be a partner outside of early intervention too it might be a mental health person in another sector well, I was going to say, Andy, too, I'm just going to jump in really quick yeah. and just also put this out there. And also, they can join the Division of Early Childhoods and Fit Mental Health Community or Practice. Yes. Because what I found in facilitating that is that a lot of people are starting to network from outside of their states, too, and to yes. get ideas. How are you using this? How are you implementing this program? Or what does this look like for you? And make those connections. And I think that's really helpful, too, is just kind of seeing how other states are doing things. I love that. Yes, and I sat in on a couple of those communities practice and I see that synergy going on oh I love that idea and I'm hoping that people can connect outside of that community practice to say how did you do that in your community and and get inspired by other people so yeah what is that um I think it's Margaret Mead that says never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world and that it really is the only thing that ever has I love that quote because I think that inspires us to come together, to work together for these these kind of change. And again, change at the local level, change at the regional and state level. And, yeah. and we've started to even talk about at the national level. So, I And Andy, fi- I, I just have to say, thinking about the work that you do and then all our practitioners are doing in the field, I really just want to throw out that nugget that if it's not us, then who? Ah, I love that. If it's not us, then who? will pick up that torch, right? So yeah. it is all of our role to really be invested in this. It just reminds me when you when you you know talk about the Margaret Mead, uh, it just reminds me of that. If not, then who, if it's yes. not us? So, yeah. Yeah, because you can sit there being frustrated. Oh, change will never happen. But you can be part of that change. And, and, and people at the state level, I used to love, as the state director, would love to hear from people who who had read about something or who 
had thought of a different way of, of doing things. It may not be possible, but let's hear and let's debate it. Let's think about how could that change come about. So yeah, yeah I love I love that too. Great. Thanks, Andy. Any other last thoughts, Andy, before we end today? Well, I'm I'm just inspired by the work that you do in Virginia and the work that you do, Lisa, in professional development. You have such great resources, and I, I know you're so generous in sharing that. So if states, uh, other states are thinking about how to get started, I know professional development is a, a great place to start. And so many states are part of their state systematic improvement plan looking at um, social-emotional development. So professional development, I think, is a kind of a no-brainer, like how... Uh, it's not really policy, but it's helping support the system. It's a crucial system part. And and then the advocacy and, and state systems work that you do, Tracy, I know not every state has someone in your position, although that's a policy goal that I think a number of states should have is someone to, because it, it, isn't, it isn't looking at infant mental health from just one sector. It's looking across a early childhood um, care and education system. So I think people, I think folks have a lot to learn from all the great work that you're doing in Virginia. But at the same time, you know, I think the tool is helpful for thinking about what are the things that you can tackle, and and some of those things can be small. Put someone on your agenda at your state conference to come. We we did that. We had Deborah Weatherston, and it just changed our world in New Mexico when she came to speak to us, and and she speaks with such clarity and and easy to understand um, how you wonder about um, the, the parent-child relationship and, and people were just blown away. And so something like that can be the first step because people are like, yes, we're on board. We want to learn more. So I think I there's so much states can do and, and, um, and they can learn a lot from what Virginia is already doing. And from you, you as well. Yeah. Yes. We just, we are so excited to have you today and just your level of knowledge and your commitment to infant mental health and really advocating for all of the policy change. We just so appreciate everything that you have done in this field to really further just the effort and the commitment in infant mental health. So thank you for being here today with us. We are going to go ahead and close up. So that is all for our episode today of Meaningful Moments, Connecting Infant Mental Health to Early Intervention. Thank you again to all our listeners and a huge thank you to Andy for being our yes. guest speaker thank and you, joining Andy. us today. So grateful. Yes, we appreciate it. Join us again next time and make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, on Spotify. Google Podcasts, or if you prefer the video version, we do have a video version that is available on our YouTube channel. For more information, visit VEIPD's website for resources, tools, and archived webinars that Andy was talking about, all those free resources you can access there. You can also visit VAME, which is Virginia's Association for Infant Mental Health, for additional resources. Thank you all so much. Great. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye, both. guys. Thank you.